Let's hear it for city groups. Join one. We need to be part of uh, groups today and have fellowship with one another. It's one thing to sit here and look at the back of someone's head, but it's another thing to get relationship with each other. Uh, somebody asked me today if I was Johnny Cash. I, I am not. I have a memorial right after this service. So, but I do wish I, I was him in some ways. I wish I had written the songs and made the money he did. But anyway, there you go with that. Somebody else asked me about three services. So let me, let me get this through on the three services. I said we're thinking about three services. Thinking about three services. We think three services will be coming. We will let you know when. Until then, sit one, serve one. Serve one, sit one. We want to get that in your spirit so when it does come, uh, you'll be ready to go and we'll be able to start three services, okay? We'll let you know here in a few weeks what we're thinking. But right now, we're just trying to pray, seek God, and get direction. So are we starting three services now? Not yet. Good. Good to hear. Okay. Uh, also, I want to say thanks to Dan Gebhardt for speaking last week. He did a great job. Uh, give Dan a big hand. And the ladies' brunch was off the charts, I heard. I hear Rosie Morrill rocked it. So thank you, Rosie. I hear there are 100 women here. And then uh, let me just say this next week, Isaiah 61 is coming up. It's a conference with Dave and Cheryl Bryan and a team that they're bringing with them. It'll be Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night from 6.30 to 9. You can check your kids in around 6.15. That's when the doors will open. And then we'll have a little bit of worship, good teaching. And we're believing for people to break three, through, uh, break free, I mean, from strongholds that have been holding you back for a long time. Now, some of you think, I don't have any strongholds. I have no problems. Just turn to the person next to you or your husband or wife. Ask them if you have any problems, and you might want to go to this conference. So please sign up, and let's get free. Let's become the church that God's called us to be. It's $10. Child care is included. Okay, in a moment, we're going to be turning to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be going over to 1 Peter 5, book of Daniel, and over into the New Testament a little bit. So let's lift up our Bibles, smartphones, iPads, whatever you have your Bible on. Let's make our prayer declaration together. Say this with me. This is my Bible. God's holy word. This book is alive and it's powerful. I read other books, but this is the only book that reads me. There are many opinions, but this is the only opinion that counts today. I declare, by faith, I can do all that says I can do. I can be all that says I can be. And I can have all that says I can have. Today, I ask the Lord Jesus, the living word, to take his written word and personalize it for my life so I can leave here changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, today we're starting a new series called The Four Sides of Pride. And our theme uh, scriptures for this series will be 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Let's read those. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. And here's why. 
for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will, be, they will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. Stay away from people like that. I don't want to be one of those kind of people. Now, since our theme this year is empowered, this portion of scripture just jumped out at me over the last few weeks because as we're talking about empowered, this portion of scripture tells, tells us how people become unempowered or powerless. So as I was studying this out, the word pride just jumped out at me like I've never seen it before. So let me give you a definition of pride. Pride is this. Uh, the, pride believes he or she is above others and God to inflate one's mind with self-conceit. So in other words, you think you're better than God, better than others, and uh, you're uh, just uh, kind of arrogant is the way I'd say it. Now, some of you are thinking, I don't have any pride. So I just want you to know, I'm going to give you some characteristics of pride, and as you write these down, there's a little box. You can put a check mark by the ones that you think you are, not the one that's sitting by you are, okay? <laughs> so here's the first one you can write down, fear. Fear is just simply this. People say, fear is not part of pride. It is in this sense. I'm not talking about respecting God, honoring God. That's a fear of God. I'm talking about fear when you fear God's not going to come through and you take control for yourself. That's pride. Entitlement. In other words, the world owes you, God owes you, the church owes you, everybody owes you, and then you take up other things in your life because of that entitlement. The third one is ingratitude. Instead of saying thank you to God and thank you to others, it's like you uh, were entitled to it. Number four is people-pleasing. This is where you want the accolades and the applause of people over pleasing God and God-pleasing. Number five is prayerlessness. And I want you to know that lots of Christians today claim to be Christians, but we are prayerless in our lives, all right? So if you're that kind of person, you're saying, I depend on myself, not God. Another one is hypocrisy. This is where you say you're a Christian, but you act differently. So you're wearing two faces. Rebellion. This is where you say, no one's going to tell me what to do, including God, including the word of God, including others. Number three is defensive. Now, I, I, I thought to myself this week, I'm, I'm not defensive. <laughs> but I am defensive. I was talking to a lady uh, on the phone and she was talking to me and she said, why are you so defensive? I said, well, I feel like you're accusing me of something. She goes, no, I just brought up a topic and you're defensive about it. I said, well, that's your problem. No, I didn't. <laughs> I said, yeah, you're right. I can work on that. So if you don't think you're defensive, if you have to defend yourself over things, you've got a pride problem. Another one is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is where you take up grudges and you slander other people or you won't talk to them 
And not only does it happen just temporarily, this kind of unforgiveness goes on for years and decades. So unforgiveness, the, uh, the root of that is pride. Now, that's just a small sample of what pride looks like in our lives. The other theme verse that I want to use over the next few weeks is 1 Peter 5, 5 through 9. It says this like this. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. So if you're a young person, that means you should respect uh, your parents, respect those in authority. And if you don't like that, this is what he tells you to do. So if you don't like being subject to elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. In other words, put it on just like you do your clothes, all right? And, and uh, you do it for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. I just want you to know when people get exalted, it either comes from Satan or it comes from God. I'd rather have it be from God. Casting all your anxieties or fears on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful, for your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So we need to clothe ourselves in humility. It's like wearing Jesus all the time. And when you do that, the enemy can't devour you because you're clothed in Christ. You also need to know that one of the greatest tools of the enemy is pride. That's how he works. So let me give you a definition of humility. Modest, a modest opinion or estimate of one's own importance. To exalt God and others above self. A modest opinion or estimate of one's own importance to exalt God and others above oneself. So to find out what that looks like, you need to look in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. This is talking about Jesus. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look only out or look only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. So Jesus said, even though I'm equal with God, I didn't come to earth to get the applause of God. I came here to give glory to God and to be able to humble myself so that all of you could be saved from your pride. That's the idea. So it's because of Jesus' humility that we can be forgiven of our pride. Let me say it this way. Jesus is our rescue from our pride. What an amazing Savior, don't you think? So we all need to do what Peter told us in 1 Peter 5. We need to subject ourselves to one another in humility and clothe ourselves in humility. Okay, now, one of the applications of clothe, it means to put on uh, the, the attire of a servant. It literally means to put on the apron and serve others. That's what humility is. So when Jesus came to earth, that's how he clothed himself, and we are to do the same. Now, there are four kings in the book of Daniel that give us a picture of pride and how a person's downfall uh, can come through pride, and even a nation can come and fall through pride. So today, I want to talk to you about the first king, 
which is King Nebuchadnezzar, and the seduction of pride. Our enemy will use pride as a weapon to seduce us. And the word seduction, it's not in your notes, but it means this. It means to lead aside. It means to entice. It means to tempt a person to believe that he or she is above others and he deserves to be served rather than serve. By the way, pride originated with Satan in heaven. It caused him and all of his angels, fallen angels, to come to earth and uh, God cast him out. And we, I believe that hell could be in the center of the earth. I don't know that for sure, but we know that there is a hell. And we know that Satan used pride also, this is nothing new, uh, Satan used pride to uh, cause Adam and Eve to fall in the garden, tempting them to believe that they could be like God or they could become God. And Satan even attacked Jesus with pride, which I'll talk about in a little bit. So if we have time, I'll give you uh, three ways pride tries to seduce us. But here's the first one you can write, now, write down. It is not giving God the glory. You, can, you and I can allow pride to have a foothold or a stronghold in our lives by not giving God the glory that he deserves. And then what we do is we take it for ourselves. Daniel 1, beginning in verse 1, says this. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave, I want you to hear this, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some, of the, <clears throat> with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. So the Lord gave the king of Judah into Nebuchadnezzar's hand, but Nebuchadnezzar did not give the glory to God for it. So let me add on to the definition of pride. You can write this down. Pride can also be not giving God the glory for everything you have in your hand. We need to remember that everything that's in your hands was given to you by God. Our intellect, our abilities, our training, our skill, you didn't earn it, God gave it to you. You didn't get it on your own, and you need to recognize that God deserves glory for whatever you have in your life. You and I didn't choose our DNA. We didn't choose our genetics. Uh, We didn't choose our quotient of intelligence. You may have improved your intelligence but and studied and worked hard uh, for what you know, what you understand, but you and I didn't choose our IQ. It started with God giving us the ability to learn. So you and I didn't choose our environment. We didn't choose uh, which country we would live in. We didn't choose or be born in. We didn't choose our nationality. We didn't choose our race. We didn't choose our boundaries. God chose them for us. So everything we have came from the hand of God and not recognizing that is not giving glory to God. Now, Paul tells us his concept of of giving glory and pride and humility in his ministry. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9 through 10, he says this, for I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. And what he's saying here is, I was a murderer of Christians. I don't deserve to be used by God, but God somehow in his grace and mercy chose me anyway. But whatever I am now, 
It's all because God poured out his special favor on me and not without results. For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles. Yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. So no matter what you've done, you take what God gives you, you improve with it, you work with it, but God gets all the glory, all right? Now, he's saying, I've been a good steward and I've worked hard, but my God deserves the glory for my ministry. So King Nebuchadnezzar, he has a dream and he calls his astrologers and soothsayers and wise men to give the interpretation of the dream. But not only to give the interpretation of the dream, he says, tell me what I dreamed. I don't know about you, but that'd be a tough one. So, which tells us that he walked in pride because he didn't recognize the supernatural. He thought, if you're intelligent, you should be able to figure this out and tell me what I dreamed and the interpretation of that dream. So these guys tell the king, it's impossible for me to be able to do that, for any of us to do that, which infuriates the king. And so he sends out an edict that all these wise men should be killed, which included Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Daniel says, as they come knocking on the door, hey, just want you to know your execution's in about an hour. He, he says, wait a moment, why are we going to be killed? And he said, well, the wise guys, none of the wise guys could tell the king his dream and interpret it. And Daniel says, well, my God can. I, don't you, I love his confidence. My God can. And so they bring Daniel in front of the king, and this is what it says in verse 26. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Are you able? I love what Daniel said. Uh, He says this in verse 27. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, the secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. Do you see the balance here? I love his balance. And by the way, he reveals secrets and then he can use me to tell you. So have you ever heard of false humility? When I was growing up, they would uh, say to the preacher or someone who sang a great song, uh, something like this. That was a great sermon today, pastor. To which the, the pastor would answer back, it was all God. Which really is false humility. And I heard about this guy that went up to his pastor after a Sunday service and said, pastor, that was a good sermon. The pastor answered back, well, brother, it was all God. And the guy answered back, it wasn't that good. In other words, if it was all God, it would have been a home run, buddy. But, you know, you played a part, but the part God played was great and glad he used you. All right. So Daniel went on to tell him, and he says this, and he, God, has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days, your dream and, your, and the visions of your, head, of your head upon your bed were these. Then he says in verse 46, then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face prostrate because Daniel makes known the dream and he falls prostrate before Daniel and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him and what he meant is to the God of Daniel then the king answered Daniel and said truly your God is the God of gods the Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets since you could reveal this secret then the king promoted Daniel gave him many gifts 
and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. So one of the ways Satan seduces us into walking in pride is by us not giving God the glory that belongs to him. By the way, the word glory, it's on your notes. Here's what glory means. It means to give great praise, to honor, to exalt above oneself, to bow down and worship God. So that kind of glory only belongs to God. It doesn't belong to any person. Humility is not taking someone else's glory for yourself. Isaiah 42.8 says this, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. But it seems in scripture, as you read it through, the more power people have, the more glory they want. For example, there's a king in the New Testament. His name is Herod. Look at these verses in Acts chapter 12, verse 21 through 23. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. In other words, they were attributing deity to this guy. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because, why? Read it with me. He did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Sounds like a pleasant death, doesn't it? But why did, why did God strike him? Because he took the praise for himself, the glory for himself, and did not give it to the Lord. So these verses don't say because he had nice attire and nice things. That's part of life. He didn't say because he had an exalted position. He didn't say because he was wealthy, powerful, and influential and exceedingly famous. He didn't say that at all. He said he struck him down because he did not give glory to God. So God wants us to give him the glory that's due him and wants us to realize he is the only one that sets people in power and he's the only one that removes them when it's time. So don't fret about Biden or Trump. You just need to know this. You need to trust God in this situation. God sets one up. God takes one down. God's in control. Here's the second point of pride, seduction of pride. It is not rejecting the glory of men, which we just read about. Now, men will try to give you glory, and it's okay to honor someone. There's only one person, though, that should receive glory. And like I said moments ago, it's God himself. So Daniel interprets the king's dream, and part of this dream is about the figure of a man, his kingdoms and all that goes, uh, it goes all the way down to the feet of his uh, feet of clay. So the king Nebuchadnezzar tries to build an idol of gold of himself because men will tell him how great he is and then they said, we should build an idol of you, uh, Nebuchadnezzar. So king Nebuchadnezzar in verse one of chapter three says, he made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So this idol uh, it has a 10 to 1 ratio, it's which, which made it 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide at its base. So to give you a comparison, the Washington Monument in D.C. has a 10 to 1 ratio. It's 555 feet tall with a 555-foot base. So if that was the case of this idol of King Nebuchadnezzar, he would have been one tall, skinny dude, all right? 
So we don't know for sure, but it probably was the size of a, a telephone pole, uh, and then at the top of that, or even a, uh, yeah, anyway, a tall, at the top of that was the face of King Nebuchadnezzar. So this is what he told him. He said, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, you all need to bow down. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got told on, said, we're not going to bow down. And notice how the king wants to draw attention to himself. He said, well, these three Hebrew boys won't bow or bend down in the slightest to this idol. So uh, he says, you know what? We're going to set up some music, and we're going to set up every time people hear this music, they're going to bow down and worship the face of me. And uh, by the way, I don't know if you know this. If you don't know your Bible, you should. Satan was over worship in heaven. He was over music in heaven. And when he couldn't, when he was bringing glory to God, it was all great. But when he saw all the glory to God, he took and said, I want the glory for myself. So how is music used today? To turn people away from God and to worship the enemy. And so the enemy said, or through Nebuchadnezzar, every time you hear the music, bow down and worship me. Why do we use music in church? To help you worship God, to help you glorify God. We're the ones who take Satan's place in heavens, by the way. We're the worship leaders when it gets to heaven. You and I are the ones who are going to lift our hands. We're going to sing with our voices. We're going to acknowledge how great God is. We are the replacement for the one who fell. All right? Now, it goes on uh, to say this in Daniel 3.15. Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship or give me the glory, you shall immediately be cast into a burning fire furnace. Now watch what the pride, his pride does. And who is the God, this is what he, who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? So this king didn't think for the, uh, thank God for the things that God had put in his hands. He didn't thank God for the power that he put in his hands. Verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to uh, bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. And these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their garments, and they were thrown into the fire a fiery furnace because the king's order was urgent and the furnace was overheated the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach Meshach and Abednego so I want you to see that's not a good time to be that that king's servant by the way but these guys they're all bound with their clothes on they're bound with ropes on their hands and their feet this furnace was, uh, when I was reading about it, is about 20 feet wide, 20 feet deep, with a set of stairs going down one side so that they could clean it out every so often. And it was, it's how they could cast them into the furnace. It was probably heated with cedar trees, which is the hottest burning kind of wood. So it, it killed the men who threw those three Hebrews into the fire. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselor, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, 
O uh, king, true, O king. And he answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. Now, notice when the enemy tries to bind you and kill you, the only thing that gets burned is what the enemy bound you with. You don't get bound by anything else. And know this, that every time you go through a fire, anytime you go through a flood, the Lord Jesus Christ is with you to deliver you. And when they came out, they didn't even have a trace of smoke smell on their bodies. So he says, I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like the Son of God or the Son of the gods. By the way, Psalm 66, 12 says this, whatever fire you're going through, whatever water or flood you go through, God will get you through to the other side. Okay, what blows me away though is how God keeps pursuing this king who keeps just rejecting God's mercy on his life. He's not, I mean, you know, we use the, he's the God of second chances. But I want you to know what I've learned, he's the God of millions of chances. He gives us chances all the time. Okay, here's the third point on the seduction of pride, and that is this, is not speaking humbly. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar has another dream in chapter four, and the dream is about how God's going to humble him in about 12 months. Verse 29 of chapter four says, at the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, now get this, here's the words from his mouth. Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? And while the words, verse 31, while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And it goes on to tell us he was driven from his kingdom. He became a wild beast in the fields. He grew claws. His hair grew long. And immediately the word of God was uh, fulfilled against his life. Now, why am I telling you this? Because it's important to speak with humility. Now, I know that I've spoken with pride at different times. And uh, by the way, another part of pride is judging others. I'm amazed how many people like to judge my life, but not their own. Just a thought, okay? Anyway, so I'm telling you this because Matthew 12, 20, 34 says this, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I have said some stupid, anybody said stupid things before? Anybody ever heard your pastor stick his foot in his mouth? Yeah. My wife raised her hand in the first service just straight up like that. So... Yeah, thank you, honey. Anyway, now we all say stupid things and we all say prideful things, but what we say in an abundance is what the problem is. The word abundance means a surplus, whatever's left over and above. So if there's an abundance of prideful words coming out of your mouth, that means there's an abundance of pride in your heart. So if you keep telling everyone, I'm going to write a book on humility and it's going to be a bestseller. And you keep telling that, there's a little bit of pride in your heart. <laughs> and God always, always, always humbles those who exalt themselves. So Matthew 23, 12 says this, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. God loves humility. Now, here's what I love about this story. 
It says this in verse 34. At the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes. Look where he lifted him. Not himself, but to heaven. And my reason returned to me, my sanity. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? God knows what he's doing. At the same time, my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me and I was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. Now listen to these words. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Now that to me, what I'm saying here is God restored this man who kept rejecting him. Aren't you glad God restores you for the things you've done? God, I want you to know God's restored me from my pride. And I've done a lot of stupid things, said stupid things, sometimes unknowingly, sometimes knowingly, whatever it might be. But I want you to know this. I have found this. Jesus is my solution. He's the solution for it all. Jesus knows what it is to be tempted with pride. See, Satan came to him after 40 days in Luke chapter 4. He had been eating, fasting, and praying. And he came to him with an extreme attack with the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Those are the big three. And Satan had this on his mind. He said, if I can turn Jesus away from bringing glory to to God the Father, then I will defeat him. But Jesus responded with extreme consecration. I I want you to hear this. Whenever the enemy comes against you with extreme temptation, you need to come against him with extreme measures of prayer, the word, worship, and glory to God. And as he does that, you need to double up on your extreme consecration. Look at Luke 4, 5 through 8. And the devil took him up. So remember, not only God can exalt you, but the devil can exalt you. And he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, give me glory, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Don't you love our Savior? He didn't give in. He got stronger. He got more extreme. And I just want you to know, we need to get more extreme. We need to be more extreme in our worship, in our services, in the word of God, in praise. Somebody said to me uh, during worships, they won't dance unless you dance, Pastor. Well, you're not going to see me dance. Some of you got rhythm. Some of you can get out there and shake a booty, but I can't. All right? I'm just saying, that ain't going to happen. You just see me do stay in my zone, stay in my lane. All right? But I am saying this. I am tired of Christians being nicey-nice. We need to stand up 
for our convictions. We need to get extreme in our love for God and our convictions of what we believe, extreme in our worship, and extreme in every way. We need to be extreme in not being ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be strong and extreme in God's favor on our lives. If he comes against your home and family, get extreme. Anoint your home and the, uh, the corners of your property with oil. Get extreme. Anoint your bedrooms. Anoint, your, anoint the refrigerator so you'll stay away from it, whatever. <laughs> Fill your house with worship music. Get extreme. Fill your car with worship music and prayer. Anyone who did anything great for God in the Bible got extreme in their love for God. Now, if the world is going to get more extreme, and let me just say this, and this may bug some of you, but if men are going to compete in women's sports, pretty soon there won't be any women in sports. So you've got to get extreme and say, you know what, I love you, but I want you to know, if you were born a man and think you're a woman, I just want you to know, God doesn't make mistakes. Just saying. Some of you applaud, some of you are like, I don't know if I should do that. <laughs> but if the world's going to get more extreme, we need to get more extreme in our worship for God. Jesus rejected Satan's offer to receive God's glory because he came here as a humble servant to make sure he gave glory to God with his life. He rejected the glory of men. He rejected to speak prideful about himself, which he could have. Jesus said, this is what my ministry is going to be about. And this is why we're doing what we're doing this next week in Isaiah 61. He got out of that wilderness. He went right into a synagogue and he picked up the book of Isaiah, turned to Isaiah 61. And this is what he said. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? For he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. I just want you to know, the Lord's favor is on us right now more than ever before. This is the time to not be silent. This is the time to give people hope and tell them about the goodness and greatness of God. And so he said, after he gets done with that, he rolls up the scroll and he hands it to this priest as if to say, that's what my ministry is going to be about. What yours going to be about? Is it going to be getting the accolades of, of men, or are you going to serve me with your whole heart? I want us to know. I want our ministry here to be about healing the brokenhearted. I want our ministry here to be all about people going through kinds of hell and and shame and disgrace and they want to give up and they come into this place and they sense the presence of God and they get healed, delivered and saved. And you know, I I, I want our ministry to be about, I want it to be about Jesus. I, I want to say this, this church has one celebrity and his name is Jesus. We don't care about movie stars or superstars. We care about a supernatural God who can do the impossible for people's lives. Let's stand. Micah 6.8 says this. Know, O people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what it requires of you. To do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what we're going to do this week. My heart is every one of you.
will show up for Isaiah 61. I've been through this conference a couple times, and I can tell you this. Isaiah 61 will show you how to get rid of the strongholds, how to get rid of the pride, and how to walk humbly with your God. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 6.30 to 9 o'clock. Okay, every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't know where you're at today, but I do know this. God sent you here on purpose by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't know Jesus, or at one time you did, but you fell away, if that's you today, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a moment. You know that Jesus is drawing you. You know you're not here by accident. And if that's you, I want you to raise your hand high and not be ashamed. Raise them high. Keep them high. Don't worry what anybody else thinks. I see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight hands. That's awesome. Now here's what we do here. If you raise your hand except Christ, we're going to pray a prayer of faith in just a moment. But I also want to tell you, take the next steps. Get baptized in water. Get involved in Fresh Start. Go through Equip and learn your purpose, all right? Say this with me now, everybody. Father God, thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son, Jesus, to die in my place. I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of all my sins, all my mistakes, and all my failures. Come into my life. And be my Savior, my Lord, my boss, my friend, and my King. And by your grace and by your power, I will serve you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand. All right, if I could have some prayer people come on up here. We're going to sing. And listen, pride will always keep you from asking for prayer. If you need prayer for healing, for your marriage, for finances, for a job, whatever it might be, come on up here as we worship him and get some prayer.